0: Welcome to Iron Sights. This podcast candidly seeks to create opportunities and deliver impact by sharing the experiences and wisdom of successful entrepreneurs and thought leaders who unapologetically aim to win in health, fitness, business, and life. I'm your host, Scott Howell. Welcome to Old School Meets New School, Tradition Meets Innovation, and Imperfection Meets Excellence. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Well, here we are. I want to welcome uh, Dr. Sherry McAllister to the uh, the show today. Welcome.
1: Delighted to be here, Scott.
0: Uh, so I'm, I'm honored to have you here. I just, uh, you know, for the audience that doesn't know you yet. So you're a, you're a chiropractor. You've got a master's of science um, in education. You've got a long, long list of, uh, of things here on your resume. And I want to go through it because I think it's important we hit that stuff as we get into the rest of today. Certified chiropractic sports physician. Uh, more importantly, I think, for me, is that you serve as the president for the Foundation of Chiropractic Progress, which I really want to dig in today uh, with, with regard to the work that you're doing there and what the foundation is doing. Um, you're sort of across many, many platforms out there. There's You have the Adjusted Reality Podcast, uh, which is... Uh, n- Just newly become one of my favorite podcasts and sort of the diversity of clients or sorry, not clients, but uh, the guests that you have on there. You've authored dozens of articles and multiple publications, too many to list, but you're a frequently contributor to a frequent contributor to Forbes magazine. You're a qualified medical examiner, expert chiropractic witness for the state of California. And somehow in there, you managed to have a private practice, chiropractic practice here in, in San Jose, California. You've been doing that since 96. How the heck do you do all that?
1: Well, you know, if you stop and think about it, you wasted time and you lost something else that was supposed to be in the air while you're juggling all those balls. So thank you, Scott. I think one of the purposeful things that I remind myself on a regular basis is, am I having fun doing it all? And if I'm not, what do I want to drop? So you can see that podcasts are being on your podcast is something that I think is going to be extremely enjoyable because it's the time where you can just have conversations with that person and relax into it. And hopefully your audience will find something, even if it's just a small 30 second snippet that they get and they go, wow, I'm now looking at the world in a different way.
0: You know, that's the best part about today for me is it's been so long. I mean, just kind of going back in our history, it literally has been nearly 10 years since we were introduced to one another. Um, and in sort of our business-to-business relationship, and through that, we, we got to have lots of conversations, whether they were thirty-minute or thirty-second snippets or ten-minute snippets, um, in in sharing and and exchanging clients and patients across uh, both our businesses Uh, and then you know the occasional coffee or or lunch break there were a few events in there where we were speaking to students at the chiropractic school and other coaches and uh, and it's been so long I can't believe how time flies yeah
1: it has time does fly
0: what strikes me and what strike what, what really got a hold of me the first time we were introduced was The passion and the energy uh, that you and the drive that you have to help people and really just communicate your message. There was just so much sort of authenticity behind that. But I think it's just a genuine want and drive to help people, which Made it—it it just so natural for us to feel like oh, finally we found a chiropractor as a business that we can really count on and trust. When we when we have people coming in the door that are that are trusting us with their health and and they've made us one of their health partners to then send that person somewhere else uh, it takes a lot of trust and nothing but accolades coming back from the other end, which isn't always the case, you know, as we're sending people out to other businesses. So, you know, they came back and basically just described you the same way I think I just described you, which is, wow, that was, wasn't expecting that. There's so much, <laughs> so much there, so much, you know, um, texture in, in my, my experience at the office. Um, and on top of that, geez, I feel better.
1: See, that is the key to success. I think patients and the consumer don't care how much you know until they know actually how much you really care. And it's like going to the dentist and before you even get seated, you have this unfortunate anxiety, but they don't do anything to help you feel better and they don't explain what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden your pain escalates because you came in to get a cavity filled and all of a sudden now I have this throbbing headache and I don't want to open my mouth and I'm feeling anxious. The best experiences I can give someone is come into my office, just have a moment to relax and breathe and know that I've been in your shoes with pain and I want you to understand that I have the academic knowledge, but I want you to understand that first and foremost how you feel in my office, the comfort level and the capabilities to take that forward is the critical component to you healing.
0: You said something there about your own experience with pain. Do you think that's the disconnect on the other end, you know, where people do walk into offices and they feel like they're just another number, whether it be the dentist or the chiropractor or another another physician? What is the disconnect?
1: Passion. How much do you really care about what you do? Because I don't need to experience a broken leg to know that it's going to hurt. And I can listen to someone else and live in their shoes if I really pay attention and I have the passion to understand and be compassionate or have empathy or understand sympathy plays a part in healing, especially in today's environment. So to be the very best you want to be. And drive home a goal with your patient or your consumer or whatever it is in your life. I think the first and foremost is the most important person is the person right in front of you that you're talking to. And doing seven things while you're talking to them gives no bonding, no trust, and it makes the patient or the consumer, depending on what you're doing in your life, anxious because it's like are you listening do you care because you're doing seven things and you know the front desk wants my money and you don't want to give me any time so I just want to leave and I think that's where the disconnect really happens I feel fortunate that I've had a very bad experience and how you look at things will change the way you do things so you know in my early teens I was in a very bad car accident and I wasn't used to pain because I was very athletic. I was moving around. I was doing a lot of things. But I was also in a course curriculum that made me have to look into a a microscope on a regular basis. And having severe whiplash it's not a great opportunity to be looking into a, um, a microscope. And that experience led me to a whole new journey. And I think people need to embrace that sometimes it's just good to let go. Just be okay with a new path. And find your journey wherever it will go, where it will lead you.
0: So this experience was at a young age. And so was that when you were introduced to chiropractic? Or was that when you were introduced to the next bad experience?
1: That was the next bad experience. What was that? So then it becomes a matter of, do I feel like I'm crazy because I have a headache almost 10 hours a day? And then I'm sick because my next bad experience is here's the drugs that you need to take to damper the effects of the headache. There wasn't one physician that I met and I met neurologist, orthopedist, the primary care physician, the physical therapist, all of these. And I'm thinking I'm trying to describe to you how bad the pain is. And I'm getting different pills. Now I'm getting new special diagnostics. I mean, I had e- ECGs done. They thought there was maybe something wrong with my brain. And I became fatigued with drugs. And finally, I just thought, it's, it's disrupting my stomach. It's totally changing my sleep patterns. I feel tired all the time, so I'm not going to take the drugs anymore. And then the more I told them the headaches are still there, they're like, well, are you taking the drugs? And I just felt like I'm in this horrific experiment, like a hamster on, on a wheel.
0: You said them. You used the term them. So sounds like there's multiple people involved in the situation. Each one of them is doing a separate thing or any of them communicating with one another? Not at all. So you're walking in as a patient who's looking to feel better and you're getting several different messages from several, di- several different people. Physicians, professionals, therapists, whatnot, and then you're being prescribed drugs on top of this, mm-hmm. and they don't know what's what the other person is saying, and nobody's nobody's communicated with one another.
1: It's it feels like I have two teenagers. Like the teenagers are only going to dad, and I'm getting the end result, and that's how it was feeling. Is. It, it, they don't know that I've been doing my exercises. And the funny part was, is the physical therapist was fabulous, but she saw that I was in pain and she kept saying, only do what you can do in my mind. I can do it all. Right. The problem is it's going to hurt more. And I remember training Iron Man competitors and they come in. Knowing they should do less, but they want to do more. And somewhere if you're
0: not if you're not in pain it's you're not working hard enough. That's right. So
1: so there's a level to understanding what you want to do even if you're in pain, because that's what your your whole mindset is when when you're at the top of your game in most things. I can push past this. But I wasn't pushing past it. In fact it was it was disrupting everything in my environment.
0: So you're hurting. You're not feeling well despite the drugs, despite all the doctors and physicians and, and uh, you know, therapists involved. What, what, what happens next?
1: So uh, one of my good friends is going into a, um, a forum of learning more about mind, body and the connection. And he said, have you tried chiropractic? And I kind of looked at him and I laughed and I rolled my eyes and I said, look. If chiropractic worked, they would have referred me to it.
0: This is you haven't even heard of this yet.
1: Not even. I had no idea. It wasn't what it, even on the radar. It sounded bad. Chiropractic. I don't even know what that is. But why wouldn't they have referred me if that would have worked? Because I got every other referral and I got every other drug. So and he said, can you just do me a favor? I've seen you suffer for the last six months. Just try.
0: It's almost like they're trying to have to convince you to go to a professional that is well-equipped to potentially handle your situation. They don't know that, and you don't know that till you get there. But, again, completely foreign, something you hadn't done. So what do you do?
1: I was extraordinarily skeptical. Yep. I didn't do any homework. All I knew was what I knew, which is this couldn't work because they would have it would have been in the lineup of options. My arms were crossed. So I sat in the waiting room and think and thought to myself, "Why am I here? This is such a waste of time. Maybe it's not. No." Uh, and then I met the the doctor who came in, and that moment is the moment that made me the better doctor that I am today. It's the immediate welcome home. You've come to the right place. We're going to go over your x-rays together. We're going to talk about the mechanism of injury. Not once did any one of those people stop and tell me what was actually wrong and then why the pain was there and that the pain is actually my friend. Is kind of like a whole reality check. What do you mean the pain is my friend? Right. I don't even understand because I'm trying to work in a lab and you're telling me this pain is good for me. Right, right. <laughs> He's like, it's your it's counterintuitive.
0: it's counterintuitive and it flat out doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. So, you're yeah, explain that. Explain that, that connection between pain and pain being your friend and the messages that you may or may not have been listening to or thinking about at that point.
1: Well, the critical component that no one spoke to me about was, The pain was a generator for you to pay attention to what is causing the problem, Mm -hmm. the cause, not the symptom. Right. And as he went in further and showed me the x-rays, all I could think of is, why didn't anybody else show me this?
0: That's a great question. Why didn't they?
1: So I'm dumbfounded and overwhelmed by the educational value I'm getting. Right. Let alone the first adjustment. And I had headaches every single day for a minimum of six hours, often 10, depending on how long I was in the lab for. And I was extraordinarily skeptical because I was in a science program, cellular, molecular, microbiology. There's not a wiggle room for esoteric. It's it's either right. it's black, black or, or, or white. white. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so all I could think of is. Am I first going to get hurt by this guy? Because he says he's going to move bones into place. Then I was like, holy cow, I could walk out of here paralyzed. Because <laughs> right. I don't know. When, risk, right? No, sure, no one told me anything about chiropractic. And he said, you're going to receive your first adjustment. And I said, well, is this too early? Maybe we should wait. <laughs> I want to think about what's going on. He goes, no, you're here. The time is now. You have nothing to fear. I've trained and I have this educate showed me his education um, curriculum. And I was like, wow, this, this is impressive. Like, I had no idea that it's a bachelor's degree and then four more years of study. That's impressive. Like this eight years of study and I knew nothing about who you were or what you do. Right. And I literally walked out of his office for the first time pain free, no headache. And I thought, what a fluke. What a fluke.
0: Right. How lucky did I just right? get it right? Yeah. That was
1: a huge placebo. This right. is going to come back as soon as I wake up.
0: But I feel better for now. That's so you it. have that out. It was
1: for probably you. just because he massaged my neck. Right. And then I woke up the next morning and I said, That's it. My life has changed forever. It's gone. I, I didn't understand. I want to do what this guy did because I was so desperate. I think if I had kept going down that route, I would not be sitting at this table with you right now.
0: I want to go. But I have a very actually similar story. How I got introduced to chiropractic and my my life met a crossroads, and it was either going to be continue to pursue my my, my fitness industry career or go to chiropractic school. Actually, here here at Palmer, um, here in San Jose, and I chose the fitness route. But it was a it was a similar situation where I had never felt the kind of pain that I had felt before, um, and I I injured my low back, in my lumbar uh, area, doing a, an infamous T bar bent over T bar row that. Anybody that spent enough time in the in the way room or enough time in a chiropractic office as a as a chiropractor, you've come across this before. I hit the floor. I mean I was a big, strong young guy. Um, and I hit the floor. I literally crawled out into the front seat of my truck, went home, crawled in the front door and onto the couch. I didn't know what to do and and I d I didn't have health insurance at the time. So it was like I you know, going to the emergency room sounds like you know, a life sentence. It's not really what I want to do right now. What I do, I called up a friend that was working at the gym I'd been working at at the same time today. Hey, we have this deal with this chiropractor. We do a trade. Um, he's a really great guy. His son worked at the gym. You should go see him. And I went, oh. and I kind of had the same, same thing. Mm-hmm. But the pain was enough. And quite frankly, it was free. And that's all I could afford, right? <laughs> yes. At that point, I was a starving <laughs> student. And so I walked in. I had a very similar experience where I was walked through. There were x-rays taken right right there on the spot. I walked through the process. I was explaining what was going to happen. And half hour later, I walked out of there. Wow. And I thought the same thing. You know, uh, when does this come back? Like, okay, this feels good for now, but how long is this going to last? And the reality of it is is I had to do work. It wasn't just a, you know... And the term gets used and it shouldn't be, but it wasn't a snap, crackle, pop, you walk out, everything's better. Right. There was work that needed to be done. And there was a reason why I wound up with that injury in the first place because I had neglected things and I was doing something that I shouldn't have been doing in a position I shouldn't have been doing it. Um, but the point was, is it impacted me enough that I was like, I got to look deeper into this this chiropractic thing, and I started to look at the course of study and the amount of time that chiropractors spend studying things outside of where, you know, an orthopedic surgeon or or even a a GP would be spending in terms of functional anatomy and neurology and things like that. I was really struck by that, and it took me down a little bit of a different path. But I want to go back to your story specifically to the experience you had had with all these other folks involved in the process and then the one that you had with the chiropractor that you saw. Was there a diagnosis made by anybody in the former group? Did they tell you what your problem was? Did they get hands on? Was there a film? Did you walk out of there knowing what the problem was?
1: When I went to the chiropractor, I had a diagnosis completely different than any other diagnosis I had heard before, which would w- make one step back. But he, remembering I didn't know anything about what chiropractic was, and then looking back on what a general practitioner does, and they often code by what they're going to get paid for. That's right. And so, an easy diagnosis is an acceleration deceleration injury, ACDC. Or a.k.a. a whiplash injury. Which is
0: pretty common. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. With tension headaches. Those weren't tension headaches. (laughs) Those were actual vascular impairments that's causing throbbing headaches. The whole biomechanics of the neck was being thrown off. And it had nothing to do with a muscular injury. It had everything to do with the bone in the alignment in the interaction it had with the ligament, with the right. um, soft tissue, with the fascial lining, everything was impacted because the alignment was not correct. It's, it's much like if you put a ball under a piece of wood. And you want to do a teeter-totter, get your balance. Throw the ball way off to the left, and you're not going to be picking up one side of the board very easily. You're just going to be working through it. And I imagine that when you think about your head on a stick, and it's a ball, and you move it forward, and it's stuck there, everything else has to adapt to Continue the equilibrium, and all I could think of is imagine that ball on the stick all day long, looking down into a microscope. How much impairment and scar tissue I was building in the in the back of the neck? How much irritation, tightness, and inflammation I was building in the front of the neck? And how, as a woman with breasts, the tension starts in the thoracic spine, your mid back, and before you know it, everything's off.
0: Is it fair to say you, during that whole process before this adjustment and? this new alignment or realignment you're really your your entire body's reprogramming itself during this during Absolutely. this time everything from from the neurological system down to the muscular system to the fascial system and to how your body responds and reacts to the, your activities of daily living everything is being adjusted whether you're aware of it or not all you're aware of is the pain that's right, right? and this hurts when i do this so if it hurts when i do this then i'm going to make a compensation. So that it doesn't hurt as bad. That's
1: right. Or or, or someone that that no, knows very little about what's going on. Well, just don't do that.
0: So, right. so, just don't do so that. It won't hurt. That, right? so.
1: It's as bad as getting a, a pain medication and saying, "Here, take this, and it'll just take away those symptoms."
0: Oh, we're getting into that for sure. We're definitely <laughs> going there. But I, 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 so the question still remains: Was there a diagnosis from anybody outside of the chiropractor? No so you got sent to a physical therapist what was the physical therapist the physical therapist in in the course of events should be getting some kind of a diagnosis from i assume you saw like an orthopedist mm-hmm. and so you're getting a recommendation from the orthopedist to the physical therapist what what information was the physical therapist provided with to your knowledge about what treat what the diagnosis was and what treatment should be applied or What direction should you be moving?
1: The physical therapist instructed me that the posterior portion of the neck, the back of your neck, has been torn. The musculature has been torn. And we need to rebuild and strengthen that. And that's going to help take your pain away. Can
0: I ask what diagnostics were run for that determination to be made?
1: Uh, Active range of motion.
0: So there's no hands on. There's no film, there's no MRI, which...
1: There was an MRI after the physical therapy failed.
0: Got it. So we, it's a ready, fire, aim Mm -hmm. process. Bingo. Rather than a, let's walk through, what is the root cause of this, and make our way back to the top. Because the pain is a signal. Right. And that signal's coming from somewhere. And somewhere in the in the midst of that, to help you be out of pain, you were thrown some medication. Somebody threw some medication at you, and you kind of already went through it. I want to talk a little bit about that that later. Thanks for walking us through that and sharing your experience. I think one of the bigger frustrations I've ever experienced as a as a coach in in trying to deliver the best level of you know. Health and fitness that you can to a client is that person that walks in who's been through the exact same experience you just described and hasn't made it to the right place yet hasn't come home and is still in pain and Mm -hmm. still isn't quote unquote right and they've tried everything and in the midst of all of this they're also dealing with the emotional piece of being in pain and the things that they can't do anymore and the dri- and the things that that drives in terms of behaviors. Um, maybe scaling back from being social and not wanting to go out. And then maybe, you know, turning to things for comfort, you know, or coping right. mechanisms. And sometimes that's food. Sometimes that's alcohol. Sometimes that's a, a medication that they've been prescribed or maybe not prescribed. And they walk in the door finally, and they just want to feel better. It's not about... It's not about losing a bunch of weight and looking great in the bathing suit or showing up or competing in a specific event. It's just walking in the door and looking at you and going, coach, I just, I need to do something. And I know what I've been doing isn't working and I haven't found the answer yet. So frustrating when you ask them about their journey and they describe something that's very similar right. to you. And so many people with such high levels of education seem to have missed so many things. Um, and really, it's not so many things. It's some very basic things. How does this happen?
1: When you're in a traditional educational process of learning about the the human anatomy, they focused in many respects on the mechanics, but not on the system. So it's almost like they were taking parts apart away from each other and thinking that they never work together synergistically. The human anatomy is one system. It is one piece. It all works together. I can't take the heart out and think it's going to be effective over here when the lungs are over here. It doesn't work like that. Yeah,
0: it's, yeah, it, 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 you can't look at the constituent parts. Well, you can, but you've now just cut off so many different things.
1: Absolutely. Right. That's where the brain fits and that's where so many treatments fall completely apart, is that the gut and the brain are so connected. And we want to think that the brain... Does nothing other than think. That's, that's what we've been told is the brain is the, the, the master computer. It thinks. But the brain feels. And the brain has several different parts. And when you think deeply into how the brain works and when we find out that we haven't even figured out yeah. almost 80% of what the brain it's actually does, right, yeah. it makes you recognize that we need to be humble. And understand we don't know and there's not a lot of humbleness when it comes to being the god of cardiology because i'm i've got your life literally in my hands i am you and that's where this complacency of well the doctor's just going to fix it comes in and doctors don't fix the body does the important aspect is to be humble as a physician. Understand that not all the pieces have been given to you. You only know. Most medical doctors, even at their very peak, will literally only know 60% of the human body. They don't want to reflect on that. They want you to think that they know everything for the most part. That's why I love where I came from in my education. Is We, we have this term called vitalism. Vitality And the ability for the innate system to take over So when you cut yourself It's not a physician healing you It's the body healing itself And we recognized Through this humble process We don't know it all The sad part is Feeling, touching Is so lost Because that is so primitive In so many of the disciplines And yet I've helped hundreds Of patients find lumps, bumps, and things that shouldn't be there. Where the medical doctor or physician who is really hyper-focused on something else doesn't take the gloves off.
0: Just overlooks it.
1: just Not necessarily it,
0: dismissing. No, just, just, over, just overlooking. Not part of the process.
1: One patient that stands out for me, who I dearly love, and she's alive today because I, I stood back and I thought, that doesn't make sense. Let me try one more thing. The only way I could feel the nodule that she was pointing out was when she was brushing her teeth, her jaw was open. I had to ask that question when do you when do you notice the irritation in your throat when i 'm brushing my teeth, her jaw drops down, I could get deep underneath i drop open your mouth, let me. Her medical doctor, she never told that to. And it wasn't his fault, because how would you think to open your mouth brushing your teeth so I could get under there? And sure enough, she she had a lymph gland that was severely swollen, and she had lymphoma. We got an early diagnosis. She's alive today. But the, the key to systems of primitive behavior of just touching it to figure out, does this, does this feel right? Where are the symptoms? And then how do I start to think about how the body is utilizing this system to show me something's wrong?
0: Peeling back the layers of that onion and taking your time to do that. You, you, you touched on something earlier just in terms of the level of care that, that you would get, and you mentioned sort of how the, the modern medical health care system works. And it's almost as if, no, I, I don't think it's almost at all actually. I think the reality of it is is your diagnosis actually or your, your treatment's actually predetermined before you ever got there. Um, in that depending on where you fall, whatever kind of medical insurance you may or may not have, uh, in our system. You walk into an office or you walk into the emergency room or emergency room might be a little bit of a different story depending on what level or why you're there. But you walk into your doctor's office and something's discovered. Let's say it's a heart condition. Let's say it's some type of metabolic condition. Based on the type of insurance you have, you are kind of siloed into different types of treatments. So let's say there's level A, B, and C. Then A is... Yeah, it's the premier holy shit package. Mm-hmm. right? you've got everything under the sun, right? And the and the <laughs> that includes, you know, all the bells and whistles. And then the B, that's your basic cable, right? Mm-hmm. I mean that's your you're kind of getting you got a couple of pay stations, you got HBO and ESPN, but um, you're not watching you're not watching, you know, any of the other movie channels and so forth. And then the other version is you're basically on you got a you got a radio, mm-hmm. right? At best, <laughs> right? And it's unfortunate to think like that, but it it seems the lines continue to get separated and the gaps continue to get separated in that. When I walk in, let's say I've got a heart condition based on what your heart condition is. Your insurance dictates how you're going to be treated, not necessarily how you should be treated, Mm -hmm. but how you're going to be treated, because that's how the that's how the physician gets paid. Right. right? Um, And where are we now with that in, say, the last I don't know five years from when you started as a as a as a chiropractor back in '96 um, with your own practice. How have things changed, and where are we now with that situation?
1: Well, you said something that is is really truthful and. I love medical doctors, so I don't want to come off like I'm banging on, you know, the medical doctor, because some of the very best patients I've had have been high level professors at Stanford that teach Mm -hmm. medicine. So I want want to make sure, should they ever hear this, say, hey, I've been really good to you. Noted. Yeah, we're not bashing (laughs) anybody. But I will tell you this, the reflection on how much stress a primary care physician in the medical practice is having is astronomical and and actually I have a statistic that I want to share with you because I think this will stop it will stop everybody the audience needs to know the association of american medical colleges is estimating by 2030 we will have a gap of primary care physicians of 130,000 so now we need to reflect on how fast can a primary care physician actually spend with you? Is it, is it? I mean, most of them want to spend time with you. They went to school to help you. They want to listen to your problems, but you know what? When you brush your teeth, I feel this nodule that that's not going to come up if I've got three minutes with you
0: at best, right? Yeah.
1: And so knowing that people are siloed, you're going to have, you're going to see different physicians based on those silos. What's really, really scary is zip codes. Those are the things that could change your life.
0: Talk to me about that.
1: So a zip code could kill you. And what I mean by that is the type of treatment that you get in your zip code could be determined by the type of care being delivered. For example, in Atlanta right now, Optum did a study showcasing who is getting the most amount of opiates in Atlanta There was one zip code that had a 40% decrease in opioid prescriptions for back pain it was the zip code that had a chiropractor in it and Optum stopped and said what is going on how is this one doctor in this huge community changing the statistics on opioid prescription and I know that they were all floored. But it gets more intense as you go through the entire nation. What we're reflecting on is this. Your zip code is a better predictor of your health and the health that you get, the care that you get from your doctors and other health allied professionals because it factors in treatment protocols. So it's a better Predictor than your genetics and race, and that stopped everybody. And now we're trying to figure out how do we do more? How do we do? How do we help the the demographics? Versus we started try to silo things again by A, B, and C. And sometimes the best insurance can make you sicker.
0: Yeah. So. The and, the and the reasons are, I would imagine, and based on you know the, the research that I've done, is it's a lot cheaper to prescribe a medication than to prescribe a hands on type of treatment mm-hmm. uh, for both the, for, for the insurance carrier, and it winds up then costing the patient less mm-hmm. the copay, the out of pocket, the things that are there. One, because it should cost more. To get, it should cost money to get hands-on treatment, and we have to get paid. But it's so out of line. I mean, with with what's going on on the on the on the insurance billing side of things, where you mentioned coding and and things like that, and you've got a you've got a situation now where. There's been a bit of a shell game happening right. now for a few years, and it's made things very, very difficult for, for physicians going back to the tough job that they have. They now have to see, you know, if you had a, you had a roster of, let's say, 1,000 patients that you saw over the course of the year, now you have to see 2,000 patients to make the same income or the same living that you did. And you've got an office staff, and you've got rent, and you've got all those, you've got a livelihood or a, you know, a livelihood and a, and a way of life lifestyle that you've been doing. So you have to see more people, and mm-hmm. what does that do to the quality of, quality of care that you're dealing with, the insurance companies on the back end are really the ones driving this, no? Yes. And so what what I'm hearing you say is my zip code, uh, based on where I am, has everything to do with the quality and the type of care that I'm going to get and the medication I do or don't get and the hands-on I do or don't get. So maybe relate that to kind of what we've been hearing and seeing lately in this last year as it relates to the epidemic that we're in, or Mm -hmm. the pandemic, sorry, that we're in right now with COVID and these numbers that we're seeing, right, and how those relate back to zip codes, those that are getting sick, those that are getting tested, where those numbers are rising versus where they're not, vaccines, so forth
1: it's extraordinary if we re, if we go backwards and we look now and and the truth is going to come out we're we're going to see once again we still are in an epidemic of opioids and it's transpired now um, in less news still losing up to 130 people a day just, just on opioids we're just distracted. right yeah. then you add on a pandemic and what are the actual opportunities for care? What are the barriers for the consumer to get that care? The lower the, the economic um, influence, the less likely you're going to take time off to go to a non-pharmacological care option. Physical therapy, acupuncture, chiropractic, try yoga therapy, try cognitive behavioral therapy. That takes time. And what the insurance company is finally figuring out is the adverse events of taking an opioid over long periods of time is so much more costly if we just said, we're going to pay for your therapy for you to take some time and go get a non-farm care. Because what they realized is, number one, adverse events in the ER can cost up to $90,000 from an opioid overdose. Number two, your work capacity corporate world the economy is built on people being at their desk doing their job presenteeism if you're on an opioid the chance of you being able to function at your best are declined by up to 60% and then worse absenteeism if you're not there at all and think about the community cost right you know you've got someone hopped up on their vicodin cuz they took four instead of the two And they're driving home. What are the costs to the person that they hit? And you start thinking about criminal opportunities now. Because I can't get my Vicodin because that doctor no longer wants to fill out the requested paperwork. Because it is a lot of work for you to get Vicodin. What we noticed over time in this whole epidemic that has come about is there was a lot of false information and... The public is now understanding how Purdue Pharma got this into the cycle by misleading, misrepresenting, and telling the the public it's safe when it's totally a dependent type of therapy. And the addiction itself is a disease. And once you get it into your system without the education, without the opportunity to move past and get off of it, you become that person you never thought you would be. And that's in the back alley finding someone who could sell you some heroin. How horrifying.
0: Oh, it's terrible. And and I think at this point that it's awful enough to where... You'd be hard-pressed to find somebody out there that doesn't know somebody or doesn't have somebody within a one or two degrees of separation that has been adversely impacted by exactly what you just talked about. And so the question is, is is, is there an end to it? And what, what I'm hearing you say is it it has been recognized. So now we have to go through this process of kind of unpacking all of this uh-huh. and undoing the damage that exists. And the reality of it is, is, again, we've been distracted about this epidemic, this opioid epidemic, for the last you know, 12 or so months, maybe even more at this point, but um, in the realities that exist there. And I know on, the CDC reported that on record, the 12 months between May of 2019 and May of 2020, we had more opioid related deaths than we've ever had on record. Absolutely right. And, and that, that number was building going in pre-pandemic, and it's only continued to increase since. And the reality of it is is the majority of those deaths are coming from illicit manufacturing of, right. of opioids, and it's not reasonable to think that many 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 of those those addictions that then resulted in in an opioid death overdose didn't start in a from a, a legal prescription of a narcotic absolutely and so here we are so <laughs> What else do we have to do? Is it just about continued education? Does it mean more legislation like bills, like bills that have been written uh, specifically in Virginia, you know, and, and really regulating this step, Bill 273, I believe it's called, and regulating this stuff. Do we need all of that or do we just need what do we need?
1: I would recommend highly that the audience audiences listening today be their own best advisor mm-hmm. is to dive into the research and understand that your first choice, just like where we started from the American physician, um, college of physicians in, in one of the keys that I think as we go through is, um, The American College of Physicians set the best practice guidelines, and it's not to to go to non farm when you're suffering from neuromuscular pain, pain, muscle pain. You injured your back, you injured your neck. Um, That first step should not be Vicodin it should not be a um, an opiate derivative it should be and that's the best part the next year later comes out the lancet which is the magna opus of of all research is like hey, the holy grail now and they say absolutely not one of the key factors and this is where research and and the media need to play better together. Because don't confuse your audience with special words that mean nothing to them. So it was easy for them to come out in the Lancet and go on Good Morning America and say, the best treatment for low back pain is heat, massage, massage, and spinal manipulation. And all of a sudden I started to think as my patients face down on the table, hey, did you hear about the Lancet um, article that came out? It was on Good Morning America. And the patients face down and they're like, well, what was the outcome? And I said, well, they recommended that you know we use heat and um, spinal manipulation. This is a patient in my office face down on the table and he turned and he goes, what's spinal manipulation?
0: No idea.
1: And I said, well, that's an adjustment. Well, They're like, why did they just say that? And then I, then I could tell my friends and family, hey, go get a chiropractic adjustment. It's the best thing that you can do. Don't take that pain medication. Right. But but here's the thing. Politics plays a huge role in this. So then I was talking. This was as, as good as yesterday. I was talking to a very, very smart academic um, researcher. And I said, one of the pieces that bothers me is these high policy level legislators want to use integrative care and they want to use it in a way that it's, it, it broadens um, using spinal manipulation. And I said that needs to stop. You need to call a spade a spade.
0: Right. What what are we talking about here? Who
1: who is going to benefit from your logistical nightmare of words and verbiage that no one's going to be paying attention to? When it comes to neuromuscular skeletal issues, you need to go non-farm. And then the patient needs to have an option. And that's why, for the first time we've ever done in the Foundation for Chiropractic Progress, we put together drugfreepaincare.org for the patient for the consumer to find an option. And one of them is an integrative care program where they can choose acupuncture. They can go right to our site, go to drugfreepaincare.org, integrative. They can choose for themselves. An opiate or a pharmaceutical product should be something you save at the bottom, not taken right away. Because your brain, your intestines, your muscles, everything that impacts how your health is being derived depends on the actions you take. And those actions will either take you on a journey of success, or leave you in the alley waiting for someone to help you.
0: That's that's pretty profound. And I, I you, you just mentioned the website there in terms of finding options. Maybe we talk a little bit about the foundation and with the work that you're doing now in order to spread the, the spread the news. Because this isn't just about uh, talking to the consumer. This is also about helping chiropractors and, and doctors bridge that gap between the two. Talk to, it, talk to us about the foundation and kind of the overview, the the, the origins of it, and, and what you're doing as the president.
1: It's been an amazing journey because there's places I've been that I never in my wildest dreams thought I would end up. Like where? Um, Harvard University. Wow. <laughs> and, um, the uh, master's program at John Hopkins, Teaching Nurses. It, funny story a, a beautiful story I thought going into John Hopkins I was going to talk to the master nurse program and I walked in and it's a it's a sound booth and I said well wh- where are the people mm. and they're like oh no 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 we're going to tape this and every Masters of nursing is going to know what chiropractic is and when to prescribe wow so I know nurses don't prescribe but they'll know they'll know when the time is right And I had that moment of this is the it right now. Um, Other places that I've been, the World Congress, here's a great moment of reality for you. The World Congress Opioid Task Force, third annual, had a three day conference. And I was called up to speak. And they said we're gonna we're gonna split your one hour program, and you're gonna share it with the um, a registered nurse who is all about transition to care, mm-hmm. and she's got high accolades, big on the on the Washington front, really well respected. And I said, great, I'm gonna talk about chiropractic for 30 minutes. They're like, oh no no no, you're gonna talk about non pharmacological care for 30 minutes. I got you have a three day program and you have one hour. Dedicated to non pharmacological care, and of that, 30 minutes is going to be. And so, I'm sorry, what? What?
0: That's, that's a tough road. To I, was blown
1: away. I called the president of the Physical Therapy Association, the president of acupuncture, the president of the International Yoga Association in chiropractic. I said, I will represent each and every one of you because this is absolutely asinine that these people are going to be in an audience of hundreds with, you know, White House correspondents there. Everybody is listening. And I got 30 minutes. Every single one of you should be at the table because my selfishness could be. I only want to talk about chiropractic, but that's. That's not what the consumer needs. And that's where you need to stop and think, what's right for that consumer? And the consumer needs an option. What's not right, I don't want needles ever, fine try something different. You want to try chiropractic? I don't want my bones adjusted. Fine. Try yoga. Give them the ability to be in the forefront. They manage their body. They manage their life. They get to choose.
0: It's about making yourself, being 100% responsible for your own health and wellness. It's nobody else's job. The unfortunate part is there's a lot of confusion out there. There's fear. I'm in pain. I need and want something right now, and that's what drives the potential education. Right? Like, And they might get it or they might not. Again, you went through an experience where there was no education and uh-huh. you weren't getting better. And then how much, how much of that do they have to go down? So, wow. So you're standing in front of the, this, this huge group of people. How does that go? How does that wind up?
1: Uh, amazing. So by the time I got off of the stage, it was a wow moment for, there was chief medical officers for hospitals. They're there to, to figure out what's the best way to help people off opiates. That's what they were there for. They weren't there to think about what the patient needs. They were there on how to mitigate their cost, their reality for the patient that's stuck on an opiate or the adverse events that come, which is, you know, heart attacks, right. strokes, all those horrible things that happen. But but we never got down to the most sensitive why are they there in the first place? And as we went through, I got cards and cards and cards of, hey, can you could you do a lecture here? Could you send us an article? Could we get some research? I didn't even consider chiropractic. And when I said, do you realize there is a study that showcases if a patient goes to an orthopedist, they're 40 times more likely to get surgery and 1.5 percent likely if they go to a chiropractor first, which means where you start could be where you end. Right. And nobody wants surgery, but if you're in that much pain, I will tell you I had a shoulder injury, and all I wanted was the best surgeon, athletic surgeon, who treats the Sharks and the 49ers. Right. I won't mention his name Fabulous guy And I said You need to fix this I need to practice And he's I go Can you you cut it Take it out I don't care what you do Just do it (laughs) (laughs) And he laughed And he said Yeah It's just not It's not gonna It's not gonna be anything I can I can cut that's when you know he had a good doctor. Yep. Someone who was really honest. Because he could have he could have tried something. He didn't. He chose to say, you need to utilize a whole different muscle group because that will never be okay again. It
0: didn't matter how many pieces of paper he had on his wall how much money he would have made to... Okay, True yeah, blue, but, right.
1: absolutely, and that's why you know the the um, seven eight figure athletes go to him because right. he's going to tell you, look, we could take it out, but here's the recovery time. When you go to someone who treats athletes. The optimum performance of an athlete depends on what you do and how quickly I can heal you. And as, at the foundation level, we're doing right now an optimized performance campaign. And we have 18 Olympic athletes that are sharing their experience. One of them is a runner, and top-of-the-line runner. And he's like, chiropractic is to running like poetry is to music and all I could think of is wow <laughs> it's so beautiful but it's so real and the if the if the athlete is saying chiropractic is an option that makes them the very best they can be I think your listeners need to stop and think if it if their lives depend on it where do you really want to go?
0: I think it's a great question and I don't think it's asked enough I think it's more it's an automatic sort of pre-programmed response. I'm sick. I don't feel good. Fix me. Mm -hmm. And they go to wherever that insurance card allows them in with the least amount of resistance or friction Mm -hmm. to get it done. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that people just don't like to feel friction. You know, they they want the easy button. They want the, they want the pill. Uh, They want the, the gratification and the satisfaction of I, I pay this so that I can get taken care of. And, I think that attitude has put us in the position as a as a country um, that we're in right now, from a from a, a larger perspective that we can get into. But I do want to look at sort of the the other side of this. You, you, you put a disclaimer out there about not bashing on physicians, and they're they're awesome. And I I don't want to bash on chiropractors because I know a lot of them, but there's people that have had very bad experiences with chiropractors um, for one reason or another. And you know, so in in going back to and and things that you'll hear are, geez, you know, I went in for, you know, I thought what I was going in for was a, a cervical adjustment because my neck's been bothering me. And I walked out, walked out of there after they tried to sell me, you know, $200 worth of supplements. You hear stories like this. And so I think going back to the resistance and the friction of getting somebody in to see a chiropractor, you almost had to be convinced, mm-hmm. hey, will you just do me a favor? Mm-hmm. That plus the amount of pain you were in, you're like... Well, I'm going to at least go. And you got in the office and you had that little conversation in your own head. What do we need to do? What does what the world of chiropractic need to do to, to build that credibility and to maybe sort of get past the stigma that it may have, it may have created for itself over time, um, especially now and going forward?
1: Well, this is a lovely question because it's going to set me up to something some, that's very beautiful. There's a new book out by Howard Walensky. He's a Chicago reporter, highly Renown, and the book is called "Contain and Eliminate." Now, here's what your audience will not know. So, I'm going to set them up with the past because, in order to really f- see a bright future, you need to understand what happened in the past. The American Medical Association put together a campaign to eliminate chiropractic in the in the early 60s, and it transpired and gained more momentum. And they actually induced um, celebrities. Um, Well known celebrities like Ann Lander and Elizabeth Taylor, uh, people that everybody was listening to. Influential. And they told them we're going to pay you to really talk poorly about chiropractic. And that was the beginning. And the reality was, chiropractors were doing so well. As soon as they started the whole purpose of your body is a beautiful, environment to take care of and not to be infiltrated with drugs, it angered the high paid lobbyists, insurance, pharmaceutical and the American Medical Association, because we were, in fact, competing with them. And they told us that you can choose two options. You can choose to live by us prescribing you as a therapy or we will destroy you. And you will wither away like a grape on a vine. Mm-hmm. And that was documented. And there is, just like other conspiracies, the the truth had to come out. And it came out in the papers. And the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And one of them was um, a... It's a great story, and I'm hoping that they'll do a documentary on it, but Sore Throat was the individual who brought the whole case up. He had documents after documents showcasing how they had actually put together this monopoly to um, take out the entire chiropractic profession. That's probably the first time your audience has ever heard that, and that's how we got named Quacks. Mm -hmm. And now the truth, on on when we went into the judgment and we were – We won the lawsuit, and all the settlements had to be paid out. Now we're starting to actually have friendships with our medical friends because they were told if they referred to a chiropractor, they would lose their license. So imagine how you would feel. Why would I lose my license? Well, that guy's a quack. We can't have you working with a quack. So they had all the power in the world, and unfortunately the loser was the consumer. Mm -hmm. So reflecting on how we got here was... Actual discrimination to where we are today, which is my medical friends are happy to Mm -hmm. have that relationship and referral process. I would think that every consumer should vote with their feet when they walk in. Some chiropractors are really, really talented, but they want to fix you in one visit. So they send you away with $200 worth of vitamins because they want you to be as healthy as they feel. Yet they don't, it's like anything in life. You, You can't. You know, one is good. 300 is not better. Right. right? So I would say that confidence comes from understanding where the patient is, bringing forth what it is and just educating them. Because I've had hundreds of patients that come in training for an Ironman and they have a knee problem. That's that's what they think. I have a knee problem. And then we go through and I show them their functional movement, their assessment and weakness, and their ability to withstand balance and mobility and their stretching is horrific.
0: Yeah, and they have a strength problem. Yeah. They so have a knee problem cuz you have a strength problem. That's
1: right. right. And so now we're at a place where I've educated you, you're the best guide. But I'm going to adjust your hip. Are you comfortable now that I've explained why your knee is, is injured and why you need this adjustment? That's the step that every physician has to make is to properly educate. In fact, they did a study with the Navy and they put all of the treatments on the table and said, which which level of treatment did you get the highest satisfaction? Chiropractic came out on the top. We had a 97% satisfaction rate. And I went to the American Pain Society meeting, and one of the physicians came over. He was actually a chapter president. And I can't forget this because it's burned in my memory. And he said, well, my physicians are only getting 68% satisfaction rate. And I don't know what you chiropractors are doing. Because you guys are always in the 90s. W- what is it that you do that's so different from what my physicians are doing? Because we're getting dinged. And I smiled because I knew the answer. And I thought, how sweet, but so simple. Right. And I said, it's because we touch our patients. And if you can understand that education starts with touching them is a whole ball, ball game changer.
0: It's a ball game changer. And like I, we've already, we both shared, it changed our lives in one way or or another and introduced us to, to an alternative way. Mm -hmm. And the foundation is about continuing to bring that, that way. Right. And hopefully that coming home for those that chiropractor is appropriate for um, more to the game. I think the next question I have for you is: This is more specific to kind of where we are with current events, and what you're seeing. Are you seeing any trends with? Look, we've been on lockdown now for nearly a year. I mean, this Santa Clara County where we're currently located is been one of the strictest, you know, counties probably nationwide, um, and there's there's lots of reasons why. Um, but as a as a as a chiropractor who sees people regularly and, and has been doing it as long as you have, are you seeing Things that scare you, you seeing trends uh, from your patients, things that they're coming in with that they weren't coming in with before uh, to be treated with. Are you seeing that they're not coming in as much as they were? What, what, what are you seeing out there and what, what's been going on?
1: Well, we have to be fairly honest about this, and that is our mental health has declined rapidly. The CDC is saying one in three people are reporting high levels of anxiety and depression. That, that's a showstopper. Because when you are in a depressed mode, everything you do changes. Right. When you're in a high anxiety mode, you protect. And one of the most sensitive environments right now is the Veterans Administration. The VA, vets, are suffering significantly because they don't get the care that they need. And when we look at that, and we talk about the number of deaths, well, our, our, our reported current outcomes for suicide right now in the VA is 20 a day. It's terrible. And those are the people that are protecting our freedoms and our rights. These are the most beautiful people you can meet. Brothers, sisters, mothers, daughters, friends, family, community. These people are at the worst because they've come home from fighting for freedom for us. And then they get into this very unfortunate experience where the anxiety, the depression takes over everything. And then there's no sense to reality. Remember, your brain is a machine and how you program that machine is every day. What you eat, what you explore, how you engage in your thought process. So the trend right now is depression and anxiety. And that leads to insomnia, overeating, and it leads us down all the comorbidities, which actually create your unfortunate immune system response if you come in contact. And I'm not just talking COVID with anything, anything. whether it's strep throat mm-hmm. or staphylococcus or MRSA, it doesn't matter. Your body is capable of checking in and checking out on what, depending on what you do as an action item. So the more. Things we can do to protect ourselves from depression, the better. And there's no better thing. Every time I read an article, it's about exercise. You can't find a better endorphin, kephalon response than getting out there and getting your body moving. But you know what happens when you get depressed? That's the last thing you want to do. But it's the first thing on the agenda. If there was three things for someone out there who's thinking about suicide, get your body moving. I've had... Unfortunately, in the last several years, I've lost my mom, my dad, my brother, my older brother and my younger brother. The thing that got me moving back to reality and moving through grief, because I don't think you ever get over it. you have to go through it -- is the long run. And, and some people are like, "I hate running. I will tell you there's nothing more cathartic than burning yourself out on a long run and falling asleep at night, being able to sleep. Because otherwise you get anxious, you get doped up on caffeine, you're trying to get yourself through the anxiety and depression, and you're eating poorly, and you're sleeping poorly, and you're grumpy, and your work suffers, and it's just a spiral. Have someone pull you through that, and it could be you, Scott, right now pulling someone through via this podcast right now, that they're feeling like this is the last day they want to be on earth. Listen to yourself and make yourself that one more step, one more step. Grab someone you love and tell them how much you are suffering because people just need to actually communicate with one another. We may not be able to hug each other, shake each other's hands, but a podcast like this could touch someone right now in their heart, and their spirit, and the ability to move forward. And that's what we need. We need to reach out and be good listeners and try to be there for people that are really suffering.
0: What if somebody is, I mean, you mentioned the run, run factor and movement, what are some of the things that you're recommending that your patients do that, that are challenged with movement? They're, they're in pain. They're not, they're not, they're, they're, they're struggling and they're struggling emotionally. They're struggling mentally and they're struggling physically. You mentioned yoga earlier as a, as a source for, for movement. What are some of the things, what are some basic things somebody could be doing like, right now? They could be doing it right now.
1: Right now, most of us are going to be deplete in drinking water. Okay. It's not something that we're all tuned into, so we need to ensure that we're getting enough water. We love our caffeine. We're addicted and totally into it, but we need to actually ensure that water's coming through because our body resonates with hydration not caffeine. It actually needs that hydration. No. That is, that's really as, as you already know, I've, I've had my shots of espresso yeah, today, right. but that's a critical component. And the most important is actually something that most people just poo poo is like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I don't have time for that. It's meditation. You actually change the gray matter of your brain. Now read the studies. Cause I was floored when I found out I can chemically change my brain the, the chemi- when you meditate. And there are really fabulous free opportunities out there. I know it's not easy because I I have more balls in the air than I can even count. I
0: can't get outside of my own head at the time. It's really <laughs> it hard. Is it's really the hard. The hardest thing for me to do in self-care is to meditate, is to get outside of my own head. Yes. It's hard.
1: If you give yourself that moment to keep what my sister, who's trained in an ashram with a 108-year-old yogi who was doing yoga, Eight hours a day. At 108, I'm still trying to wrap my head around. And right. I saw the pictures. He bent himself in half in a back bend. And people were sitting on him in a back bend. And he's 108. Yeah,
0: that's not enough to convince you the meditation works. <laughs> then, yeah, we'll it's sure incredible.
1: Right. So it's the matter of thinking about your brain is the, the gift that it really is and the more I do and the more I get into things I used to think the spine, it was all about the spine everything, it was like the spine was the holy grail right. it, it actually is not, it's the brain the brain chooses if you're going to be happy or sad the brain chooses how your gut feels good or feels bad your brain is something you can train and you can actually train it out of pain I didn't know that until like my fourth year out of out of chiropractic college you can train your brain and that's when things started to change and monkey mind is what my sister would call it sit and try to meditate well my brain is everywhere everywhere and I'm thinking about groceries I'm thinking about the next podcast what are we doing why am I sitting here this is a waste of time and then all of a sudden I got this peacefulness and you have to keep working at it till one day you meditate for maybe three minutes and all of a sudden you feel like you slept an eight hour day you slept like, you went to bed and you just woke up and you felt very refreshed and it was only three minutes. That's when you know you hit the mother. The mother load right there. Right. Your brain changed.
0: It's interesting, You as you Start to do these things and you learn them, and there's a realization, then you can do things like start to. I, I think the term that I like is habit stacking. So, you mentioned running, and for some people, the running can be a form of meditation, the yoga, the movement, and the meditation that comes along with it. You're starting to stack these habits that you have to begin, as you said, take the first step to do. And ultimately, that can transition in anything. It can be anything for anybody. It's not any one thing. And just getting Active and taking those first steps, obviously being the the most important. I um, I, with all the things we just talked about, that was interesting. There was no there was no talk about getting an adjustment, um, which I think you know a lot of people might be surprised about. Just like going in to see a surgeon, you know, if you've got a meniscus tear, you know, you got a knee problem, you got a meniscus tear, you're going to see an orthopedic surgeon. There's a there's a high level of incentive for that surgeon to do do surgery just like there's a high level of, of incentive for the surgeon that you saw with regard to your, your shoulder issue to do that surgery, yet yet he didn't do it mm-hmm. um, because he knew that wasn't the right thing for you and it didn't satisfy your your needs and the things that you needed and it wasn't really about him. That's the line of thinking that we would like all of our physicians and all of our chiropractors and all our coaches and all of our people will be in. like, what's the right thing for me? And it's never any one thing. What are the things that, you know, we can talk about chiropractors first, I think. What are the things that chiropractors can be doing now to prepare themselves for the aftermath? Um, all the, th- the collective things, but the aftermath of what we've been through as a, as a country over the last, you know, year. And what we're going to continue to go through, looks like for, for some time here. What can they be doing, the, the, the current and the student, to prepare themselves to help those clients as they're coming in with more than just... Potential adjustment.
1: You said something, and I think really helped me is I cannot think about myself. I need to think of others. Uh, Mother Teresa has a famous saying, and and you remember Dr. Ghazi and I would go on a a run together. She's now in um, in the uh, Dubai, right? She is. She's in Dubai in in hugely successful, and I don't take any um, uh, accolades for her success. But I do know that how we trained made a difference. Mm -hmm. Do small things with great love was the Mother Teresa quote that we would do every day. And it's putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And how would you show them that love? Because it all comes down to love. I mean, I say this in a boardroom of millionaires and they like they get all squirmy and uncomfortable. We're kind of getting this is not this is exactly why we're here on Earth. There's faith, hope and love. And love is a critical component to what we do in our jobs, in our, in our, our um, families. And I go back to something that uh, reflects for the future for those that are going to be treating patients coming out of school, a new student, a new chiropractor who's going to be hands-on right out of the gate. Understand there's something that I just learned and it really hit me hard. There's a GPS where the patient is. Do you know where the patient is? And it came when I was doing a podcast with Mark Victor Hansen, and he's just a love. He did Chicken Soup for the Soul for chiropractors. And he said, sure, we remember something here. There is um, a term called nowhere. Some patients feel that's where they are. And the doctor needs to figure out where that is. And then when they finally get enough information, that nowhere word tears into now, here, present, capable, ready. Because if I give you all the information and you're not here, you're in nowhere land, you're not ready for it, you'll never get to now here on the GPS level. And
0: then you can't get to the now what?
1: No. And, And our yoga sister would say... The the teacher will come when the student is ready. That chiropractic student is what you need to take forth, is you need to guide, encourage, and most importantly in your heart, have the love for that person to make sure you're where they're at so you can help them move forward. Because giving someone vitamin D, When they're considering suicide is not working. Right. That just doesn't work out. Okay. Even though we know vitamin D is a fabulous form of supplementation in our lives, that's not where the patient is right now and vitamin D is not saving them. So this is a critical component, I think, where our all healthcare providers can start to figure out where that patient is and offering and understanding what a referral looks like that's effective, and you said that yourself. Is were they communicating? Hell, no, they weren't. But we have a responsibility to the patient to communicate. I will tell you the most beautiful story. It happened three weeks ago. My son, who's sixteen, gotta love this story. I'm on a podcast. He comes in and he's trying to be quiet, and he's like, "I have an appendicitis with a with a sign." <laughs>
0: Wait. So he's holding a sign up he's that says "In
1: the kitchen while I'm doing a podcast."
0: <laughs> oh, oh he self-diagnosed himself. Yeah. He's got it. He's my son. Right, right, right. Okay. And I was like, I'm resourceful mom. i resourceful, About this, I said,
1: yeah. like, "I got two minutes." I get off the phone. I go, well, "What's going on?" And he goes, "I'm going to finish my math test. You need to take me to the ER. I'm having an appendicitis." I said, "Are you sure about this?" So I go through, and he's he's in the forty percent that shows non. what are called atypical signs Mm -hmm. and I I thought well you know what I trust where my patient is right although he's my son I trust what he's telling me we walked in the medical practitioner said here's my cell phone number when does that happen (laughs) he said you're a chiropractor I want your opinion first my son looked at me and was like, wait a minute, she's not the doctor. Yeah, right, right, you right,
0: are. Right. <laughs> like, what would you know, Mom?
1: I said, I, I would personally like to get a, a diagnostic ultrasound so I can rule it out and I can go home and sleep at night. Now imagine that zip code moment.
0: Yep. We're back to the beginning.
1: And my son looked at me and he said, does this diagnostic ultrasound hurt? And so we got in there and... They said, "Would you like to come in?" I said, "Yeah, I'm a chiropractor." She, oh, come on in! And she went through the, she went through how she was going to set it up, and she didn't have to say anything. I'm like, "Oh, we're scheduling for surgery. It's COVID testing. Right, it go. was within 24 hours." I was texting that the primary care physician because he gave me his cell phone number. Told him we're going into surgery. They were scheduling it. The Stanford pediatrician couldn't have been better. It just an amazing man. Told me, "Here's the big picture. Here's what we've got. We need everybody tested for for being COVID." negative before we go into surgery it was an amazing experience why because everybody talked that that first primary care physician could have blew me off chiropractor he didn't have to give me his phone number which led me to not have to spend five and a half hours in the ER we got right to the pediatrician ward we got right scheduled and everything was absolutely amazing laparoscopic surgery fabulous and it goes to prove two things Doctors have a responsibility to contact their patients, collaborate with appropriate care, and ensure the patient is being respected at all costs. It was easy to say, he's 16, he doesn't know what he's talking about. It was hard to say, let's swallow up a diagnostic ultrasound.
0: I think that speaks to way, goes way further than that particular experience. And it talks, if... if Society. if our culture just handled things the way you just described in trying to meet somebody where they're at and try to understand where they're coming from and try to make a connection. Um, It doesn't necessarily have to be an emotional connection, just a connection. You know, where are you, how you're feeling? Let me hear what you had to say. Let me see about what you're feeling. And, you know, I might not be able to relate to that, but I'm listening and I'm taking it all in and then communicating and then Putting it back, so I think what I hear you saying is this: What would, what would you like the next steps to be, and then the communication process beyond there, and getting together, and like, are we doing the right thing for you? Do you feel good about that? Are we doing the right thing for the situation? And then have that smoothness come over, God, What if we just handled that like that in all things?
1: It would be an awe moment. Yeah. That's that's the love that the Millionaire Club needs to start to reflect on: is people need to feel comfortable that the decisions that are being made have their best interest in mind.
0: It's tough to, it's tough to wade through, you know, all the information that we're getting and the ways that we're getting it these days. And, uh, I think that's, that's the next topic that we should discuss someday when we have you back here.
1: I would love that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank you for your time and, uh, and for coming in today and sharing your story and your experience and your wisdom. And I I mean, I can't even count how many actionable takeaways, you know, you've given us and, and the listeners today, and I'm sure they're going to want more, and they're going to want to know how to get in touch with you and learn more about you and what you're doing, the work you're doing, the things that you're, you're contributing in, uh, to and, and, and will be contributing to in the future. Where do they find you? Where should they look you up?
1: You can go to F, as in Frank, 4CP.org. And you can sign up for our newsletters there. You can um, see some of the information that is out there for you to pick up. Um, my email address, I'm going to give it out there because I think your audience needs to know that we do care. And if I can be of service to you, it's uh, dr.mcallister at f4cp.org. You can find me there. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram um, under those uh, those um, coordinates of dr.mcallister. And you'll find me. I'm out out there and uh, hopefully, those people that are listening that really do want choices in their life, that want to be respected and want to enjoy a better life through better living, will do the hard work. They'll make the journey one step at a time, no matter where they are. They'll find the people that are right for them.
0: Do the work. You heard it here. Thanks very much, Dr. McAllister. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review, and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.